God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to come together, whether in person or online. God, we pray that you will open our ears to hear what you have to tell us. God, we lay down the troubles of the week, any trials, any burdens that we're carrying at your feet so that we hear what you have to tell us, knowing that you carry our burdens for us. We thank you, God, that that your burden is light and that you can carry whatever trials we face. We just pray, God, that you will be with us this morning. And we thank you, knowing that despite what has happened or despite what's going on in our lives, you still meet us where we're at. We pray these things in your name. So every year, I get a word, I ask God for a word. And this year, the word was intentional. And I was actually really excited about it because I'd had some uneasiness about where my life was going and maybe a little bit of frustration. And I thought, okay, this is going to be great. And so I started digging into this idea of slow living, the Hagat lifestyle, the, the everything, minimalism. I didn't quite go Marie Kondo, but almost. And I thought, okay, I started to deal with that and make little shifts in our life that would allow us to slow down. Anyone who knows Ben and I knows that we run like 500 miles. Like vacations are spent doing and not sitting. And we're getting a little older. And so it's starting to wear out on us. So we needed to slow down and to find comfort in this idea of rest. So I walked through that. And then I started thinking about the people I invested my time in. And who I was investing in and how much effort I was putting into them. And so I made these little shifts. And at about this time, Pastor Mike had given me my my title and content of the sermon. And I thought, oh, great. This will be the first year that I'm not going to have to wrestle with whatever I'm preaching on. It seems I don't do it very often. So everything I speak on, whether at camp or in front of all of you, tends to have some sort of life lesson. And I thought, okay. We're talking about heaven, we're talking about gold, I got this. And then I entered into the final, like this most recent step in the journey that I'm on toward intentional living. (sighs) Apparently, what I'm about to speak on does apply to my life. And I do have things to learn, and it hit a different note, because everything I had been doing up until then was kind of this external a simple shift, an adjustment here, and it kind of avoided the internal stuff that we need to deal with when we change our lifestyles. You see, this parable today, it's about, my version says talents, someone else's might say gold, but it deals with servants, masters, and gold, and ultimately, it's about the idea of stewardship. And if anybody practices the lifestyle of intentional living, or living with intent, knows that stewardship plays a role or a very large part in how we live out that lifestyle. And so with that in mind, I want us to dig into the parable. So we open up the parable, and we're met with this master who has called his servants to him. And he's got three of them. And he gives them each a different amount of money, if you will. A talent in that day and age was anywhere from about three months to one year's wage. So It's a not small amount, but it's quite large. And so he entrusts them with what they are capable of handling. He gives the first one five, the second one two, and the third one one. And you know what? Nobody complained. And this shocked me because I thought, well, if I did that in my household, 
You can imagine how this would have played out. At least two of my three children would have had something to say with what I had given them. And yet, no one did that here. And I started thinking, you know, I don't just hear this in my household. I actually hear this everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, just in regular conversations. We get caught up in this idea that, well, if only I had what they had. We, get, we want to keep up with the Joneses and the Kardashians, and we want to have what everyone else has. And we buy into this idea that if I have what they have, I could do what they do. I could, if I get X amount of dollars in my bank account, well, then I'll give more. If I get this kind of job, well, then we'll be happier and we'll have more time to rest. If this, if that, if this, and we kind of complain sometimes, well, God didn't give me enough money and God didn't give me this. And you know, it's just a part of our culture, yet we see with these servants, they just accept it. And not only do they accept it, they immediately turn around and they start doing whatever it is they're going to do with it. So the first two we see, they turn around and they start investing it. They didn't think about it. They didn't make their list of pros and cons. They just turned around. They knew what they were going to do with what they'd been given, and they did it. And then we have the third. He buried it. And I thought, really? You buried the money? Like, did that, did that ever seem like a really great idea? Just dig a hole, put it in. I don't know. I'd forget where I put it. And yet, he buried it, and he thought, this is great. But you see, we find out that he buried it because he was afraid of his master. And fear has this funny way of catching hold of us. It convinces us to do things that maybe don't logically make sense or maybe stunt us. In this most recent part of my journey, I have been discovering that I have a misplaced Fear of man, if you will. And not that something horrible, they're going to do something to me, but this idea that I need to earn approval or I need to prove myself or that their opinions matter about me. And the problem is, is when we let fear dictate what we do, we lose sight of what God has called us to. On my bulletin board in my office right now, which is right where I sit, I have a, a poster and on the poster, it says, let not the opinions of man interfere with the directions given to you by God. But fear does. And whether we're concerned about earning the approval of our neighbors or our colleagues or our friends, or we're afraid of losing our money or our possessions or our lives or our status, we cling tightly to that which we're afraid of losing. And our grip gets so tight that we run from anything that feels like a threat. And it may not even be a real threat. Our brains are crazy. And when we get afraid, instantly that fight or flight kicks in. And so it can be a perceived threat. It may be a comment that someone makes that was offhanded and not even directed to you that somehow you heard. And now you're afraid that you're going to lose whatever you're holding on to. When we become afraid of losing our material possessions, our money, our belongings, our life, our status, we sit comfortably, terrified to take a step to the left or to the right or to invest too much because fear convinces us that it's not worth it. Fear has us digging holes and burying stuff. But 
Maybe we do have fear. I know I do over a lot of crazy things sometimes, and sometimes it doesn't even make sense, and I kind of step back and be like, what? But if this parable is about stewardship, and we're looking at how the servants are investing their stuff, and the most common understanding of this parable is that we're like the masters and the servants, then we've been entrusted with stuff. You see, God has given each and every one of us stuff that he has entrusted to us. And it's not just material stuff. It's not just money. And it's not just possessions. He's also gifted us with gifts and talents. And those two can fall under this tight reign of fear. And so in the next part, we're going to dig into how are we using these gifts But before we do that, we need to know what we've been given. And I'd started to make a mental list. I thought, this can't be that long. And so I started as I was preparing to make this mental list. And as I started getting into it, I realized, oh boy, my memory cannot remember all of this. And it also created a bit of uneasiness because I realized that I had been given a lot that I was supposed to take care of, that I was supposed to be a good steward to. And so what I want you guys to do is I want you to grab that piece of paper that you were given. No, we're not going to make paper airplanes. I heard there's a rumor or it doesn't have any special writing on it. I wasn't that prepared. If you need a piece of paper, maybe you missed one of our many handlers. If you just want to put your hand up or if you need a pen or a pencil, they also have those. You can put your hands up for those as well. We're here at the back over there on this side, Dessa. I have a crew that's coming to help. What we're going to be doing for the next little bit is we are going to be making a list of everything that God has entrusted us with. And you at home, please join in. Don't just sit and enjoy. Grab a piece of paper and a pen, a notebook. You can grab your phone if you need to to make that list, if it's more accessible. Boys and girls, this is also for you. I know that many of you do not have a long list of possessions that you have in your bedrooms and your bank accounts aren't going to be very big. But God has gifted each and every one of you with gifts and talents. And I know this because I see them when you guys come to church on Sunday morning. Now you might not know the really big words that we use in church like hospitality or prophecy. But you guys, if you love to care for people, if you look for ways that you can help them or look for ways that you can help others, that's a gift. If you want everybody to be your friend and you're constantly inviting them into your circles, that's a gift. If you love to talk, and I know that it might drive your teachers and your parents crazy, but I did too, and I promise you God's got a gift in that too. And maybe you hurt when somebody else hurts. That's also a gift. Or maybe you just love giving gifts. Those are all gifts that you have, boys and girls. So parents, you might need to help the younger members of your family, but this is also an individual list. You're not making a list on everything that God has given you as a couple. This is individual. Your individual gifts, your individual talents, possessions. You might share the same one as someone in your household, but this is about you. So I'm just going to give you a couple minutes to make that list.
All right, I'm just going to get you to stop there. I'm guessing for most of us, we have not completed our lists, and that's okay. These are not the be-all and end-all lists, and I'm sure as time goes on, you will add or remove or whatever that looks like to that list. So just take a quick glance and set it aside. We're going to come back to it in a little bit. Right now, I want us to look at the master. We've talked about the servants, now let's talk about the master. The master seems like a really great guy. I mean, when we first meet him, he calls his servants to them, and he gives them what they can handle, so he knows them. He didn't just randomly toss bags at them and be like, go. He knew them well enough to know what they could handle. So he had some sort of investment in their lives. The second thing we know is that he went on a journey. And we find out when he calls them back that he'd been gone a long time. Now, in this day and age, in the biblical times, it wasn't uncommon for people to be gone a long time. When a journey to a city was anywhere from like one to four days, depending on which city you were going to, people would be gone a long time. And they didn't have the same belief around vacations and holidays. They would go and they'd visit everybody and they would hang out. And so him being gone long wasn't abnormal. But a long time is enough time for the servants to forget. It doesn't say whether it was one month or 10 or a year or two years. They could forget that they were even supposed to be taking care of it. Or for our third servant, he would forget where the hole was. They could assume that their master had died. That wouldn't have been uncommon either, where highway robberies were more of an everyday occurrence. But these servants, they kept taking care of what they had been given because we find out in a little bit that he came back after a long time and he called them to him. And the first two servants, well, he calls the first one and he says, oh, look, I doubled my money. And the second one doubled his money as well. And he goes, well done, my good and faithful servants. You had little, now I'm going to entrust you with more. And then there's the third servant and he shows up and he says, well, here's your talent back because, well, I know you're a really hard man and you take what's not yours and you've, you've harvested what you didn't sow. And, and to us, this actually seems like really bad. And this, the people in Jesus's time were actually living this. It wasn't uncommon for kind of the master of whatever area to demand more taxes or to just take crops from those who were renting his properties. So they kind of understood this idea of this master demanding more. And so he says, well, you, you take what's not yours. <laughs> and I can, I can picture him. He's kind of sitting there, and he's shaking, kind of like, oh, man, what did I do? Maybe the grandness of what he didn't do is starting to take a toll we don't know. And the master looks at him, and he goes, you're afraid of me. Well, why didn't you put the money in a bank where at least I would have gotten the interest? I don't know, maybe, maybe he kind of did one of those like bang head here moments, like, oh, yeah, that might have been good. Might have been smart. But he doesn't. And the master kind of calls him on this fear because you hit it instead of putting it in a bank. And then he says, you wicked and lazy servant. Take what he has, give it to the one who has more, and throw him out in the darkness where there is a weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I looked this place up, this weeping and gnashing of teeth, because I've heard it before. And it's not actually a place. There are numerous times actually throughout Matthew. Matthew and Luke are kind of the ones who use it 
when talking about the parables, and it's really just a very dark, bad place. I've heard it used maybe in context of another not-so-great place where people can go. And he sends them out. And now we're left thinking, oh. See, if we go with the idea and this belief that God is the master and we are the servants, well, that doesn't really fit the God that we hear a lot about. This God who is compassionate and forgiving, he's full of grace and mercy and he's loving and he's gentle and he looks down on the ones with a lot of money and he looks to the ones who have least. He's the one who teaches, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And here we see him throwing out this fearful servant and he's praising the ones who have more. Well, that doesn't sound like God, does it? You see, in North American culture, we tend to brush over the idea of God as judge. It doesn't make us feel great. I don't like the idea of someone judging me. We live in this culture where don't judge me, let me do my own thing, me and and whatever our phrases are at the moment. But it's about me and my choices, and I shouldn't be judged based on what I think. And yet, we just heard that God judges But you see, this idea of God of judge isn't new to Scripture. It's not something that we're making up. It's very real. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, we we read, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 1 Peter 4.17 says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel? Matthew 12.36-37 says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And we're also told, judge how you would like to be judged. God as judge is not new to scripture. It's not even new to our Christian life. And it's funny that we tend to bypass this a little or we skirt over it. I mean, the book of Revelations is filled with this imagery of God as judge. But it doesn't make us feel great. And the reality is that every single person in this room and who's joining us on TV in the next 100 years will stand before God and be asked, what did you do with what I have entrusted you with? We will all have to give account for what we have done with what he has given us. And so if our end goal is to stand before God and to give account and to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, then we need to ask ourselves one big question. What have I done with my time, my abilities, my resources, and my giftings to further the kingdom of God? And this seems like a really big question. It's overwhelming. It's not asking us, did you enjoy what I gave you? And he's not asking us if we were busy or even kingdom busy, as I've heard the term. When we stand before God and he says, what did you do with what I gave you? 
He's not looking about the size of our houses or how many vacations we went on and where they were. He's not asking how many sermons we preached or how many ministries we volunteered in or how many sports teams we were on or whether or not we got into an Ivy League school on a scholarship. He's asking us, what, how did we invest into the kingdom of God with what we were given? He's going to think it's great. He was there when we played our sports teams, and he rejoiced with us when we got into our Ivy League schools or we volunteered in our ministries, but he's saying, great. But in those spaces, did you love your teammates? Did you love your players? Did you stand beside your colleagues when they were going through that tough time? Did you love the people in your sphere of influence? Did you love the prickly ones? The colleagues who rubbed you the wrong way? Or the parents of your child's friend that you just can't stand? Or even the person who came to church and looked a little bit different or had a bit of a past? Did you care for them? Matthew 5, 46 to 47 says, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? We have been given a lot. And if we use the guide of the masters and the servants, we will learn one thing about our faithfulness. Our faithfulness is not determined by our ability to follow directions. Our faithfulness is determined by the choices we make with what we have been given. The master didn't hand out the money and go, okay, you with five, go to the stock market. You with the two, oh, let's try it at the gambling tables. And you, just put it in the bank, okay? I know you can't handle it. He just said, here, I'm giving you this, take care of it. And God has done the same thing. When Jesus went to heaven, he left us with his ministry. And all he's asking is that we take care of it because he's gonna be gone a long time. And when he comes back, we're gonna have to give account for everything. A good stu steward takes what they have been given and they help it to grow, and they make it better. Let's look at the communities that we're a part of. We've got this one, the church community. We've got our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our sports teams, our schools. Because kids, this is just so much for you. We've got everything that we do. And I'm sure for some of us, that list is long. They have been given to us. Yes, we may have chosen which sports team we're on and we worked our heart or we signed up for that job, but God is asking us to invest back into the kingdom. Is, your, is our workplaces better because we work in them? Is the community of Albert Park better because Parliament Community Church resides in it? Is the city of Regina better because we live in it? Are our workplaces, our schools, our relationships better 
because we are a part of them and we shine like God. You see, making something better doesn't mean more programs. It doesn't mean getting busier. It's about being intentional with what we have been given. God gave us everything that we need and what we can handle. And it's really not about our age. And it's not about our academic ability. And it's not about any sort of social standing or the size of our house or the job we have. You see, if you look through scripture, none of that really mattered because the people that were used, whether they were little boys like David or way older, up into the prophets, they said yes. You see, being a good steward of what we have is about saying yes. It's not about letting our fear dictate what yes or no we say. I wouldn't be standing here if I let my fear decide what I was going to do. I had come to the belief many years ago that I should never speak in front of my peers or those who were older than me, that I didn't have that ability, that I should stay safe. I loved to teach and I loved to talk. Everybody knows that about me. But I thought kids are the only place that's safe because I had been told that nobody wanted me to talk. I talk way too fast. And I remember the first time, I think it was Scott Tallhurst said, Kristen, do you want to preach? And I said, nope. And I did. I'll be honest, I really did. But I was so scared that I wouldn't be able to that I said no. And then I remember it was Rita May asked me a couple, a year later, and I said no. And that time I felt guilty. I thought, oh, I should have said yes. And so I told God, I said, God, if you really want me to do this, I'm going to step out on a limb, but she has to ask me again. And she did. And I know the first couple times I got up here, <laughs> this is the first couple times, I'm nervous and I'm always worried. But the truth is, is I wouldn't be here if I had let the fear of what I thought others thought of me stop me. I had to say yes. What is God placing before us as Parliament Community Church that we should be saying yes to that maybe out of fear of losing our comfort, out of fear of losing whatever we've concocted or our fear of what others might think of us, we are saying no. What has God brought that we have said no to that God has said but this you see, my mother told me a long time ago when I was really fearful about something, I was afraid I was going to make a bad decision, and see, she said, Kristen, if, God, if you say no to God, that doesn't stop him. That doesn't thwart his plans. He just simply goes and finds somebody who's going to say yes. But see, the person then who misses out is me. Because that investment that we're talking about, when we invest back into the kingdom... That's not about us getting our material possessions back in tenfold, our money doubling or tripling. It's about the blessing that comes from serving. And I've never met anybody who invested into the kingdom, no matter how rough it got, who said, oh, I wish I didn't do that. God blesses us when we invest. And every time we say no, we miss out on the opportunity. His kingdom is going to continue. He will find somebody who will. 
And so I also ask, as individuals, has God called you to something? Maybe it's sitting right in front of you right now, maybe it's still coming, or maybe it did happen. That he's asking you to say yes to. Invest into my kingdom. And it doesn't have to be big or grand or, or even have you up on here preaching. Because he's given you the gifts needed. And you may not even be aware you have them. You see, I walked through something a couple years, many years, I guess now, ago. And I remember being in the thick of it, thinking, I cannot do this. Oh, God, you chose the wrong person. And yet, as I walk through the verse, my grace is sufficient for thee, for in your weakness I am made strong. See, he's given us what we needed. When I got out of the other end, I realized, oh, I can, and I will. But I had to go through it, and God places us in places, and he's asking us to say yes. When Jesus was with Peter, right before he went and ascended into heaven, he looked at Peter and he said, Peter, do you love me? And many of you are familiar with this passage, and Peter goes, yes. And he gets asked three times. And each time Jesus says, then feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, and feed my sheep. That is what we are called to do. We are called to take care of the sheep. We don't have to judge the sheep. That's not our place. We don't even have to like the sheep. We are called to love the sheep. And those of you who are, have been in a relationship of really any kind, whether with your brothers and sisters, with your children or your spouse, you know that there are days that you don't love them. Or you don't like them, sorry. We love them. But we don't like them. I think of that sometimes, maybe more often. I don't like you today. But I love you. Because I love you, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do your laundry. And I'm going to cook you supper. And I'm going to care for you. And that's all we're asked to do. Regina is full of people who need to hear God's word, who need to see the light, who need to know that they belong and that somebody cares for them. They need hope. And that is our invitation. What do we as Parliament Church need to say yes to that makes us shake or makes us nervous? What do you need to say yes to that maybe is putting your foot out there? It's investing more than you've ever invested. God, he knows, and if he's asking you to do it, then let him and say yes and enjoy what is coming. And I'm not saying that every opportunity that comes your way is definitely from God. You do need to have some discernment, please, or you will find yourself too busy or you'll find yourself in a bad place. But if you know it's from God, seek wise counsel. They can help you out. Sometimes it is about going against the grain. Sometimes it is about risking a lot more than we had intended. But when we stand before God, who doesn't want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant? Our excuses won't get us far. He's going to say, I know. I know you were afraid. But... So what I want to do now is I want to give you a few minutes to take your list that you had made, and I want you to go back over them. I want you to spend time with God and invite him in to the conversation. How are you investing your, your resources? 
Are there things that maybe you need to add? God gave us 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week, and 365-ish days in a year. And we say we're busy. And we're kingdom busy, and we're just busy. But sometimes it's that simple shift. Are there things right now that God is asking you to say yes to that you've been sitting on the fence to? Maybe deep inside you know you should say yes and you feel like you should say yes, but that fear, the what ifs, the if I do this. And so I'm gonna give you just a couple minutes to spend with God. And after that time is up, the worship team is gonna pop back up on the screen and we're gonna worship and then we'll continue from there. Now, saying yes doesn't have to be drastic. And sometimes it's not that all of our lives are are spent enjoying for ourselves, that we are investing parts, and we are investing some. But sometimes we have parts that we've shielded off. And if throughout the course of your journey, you hear voices that say, oh, that part doesn't matter, just slip it under the rug. Or we hear, well, that was a waste of time. You just blew it. You're never going to get very far. That's not a voice that we need. It's the voice of the liar who comes and twists it, making us feel worse than we need to be. But if as you walk through this process, you hear the voice of God, and he says, look, I love that you're doing this, but you see this area over here? Yeah, let's talk about that. I'm going to walk with you. Let me help you. You see, we can't make these changes on our own. We need God. And God will give us the power and the courage and the strength to do whatever we need to do. And if you're wondering, is it worth it? Is it worth investing everything back into the kingdom? I just want to read you what what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, just a little bit beyond this parable. He's talking about the sheep and the goats, and he says this. Jesus says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. God has called all of us to different things, to care for our church family, to care for our communities, our coworkers, etc. And so my prayer today is that as you leave here, you click the X for those of you at home, that this doesn't just become one of those, yeah, that was great, and we move on, that you sit around your tables Have conversations with your family about this investment. What did they see? What did they feel? What did God say to them? Yes, your young children can join in too. They've been gifted. They've been given stuff. Have conversations with your accountability partners, your mentors, whatever it is, so that you can see and build and invest and say yes with confidence, knowing that God is 150% behind you walking with you, before you, after you, carrying you through what you need. And may God give you the courage to say yes. May he give you the strength that is needed to invest. And may he give you his eyes 
to see the needs of those around you who have entered into your circles of influence. May you go in peace.